want to begin this morning by reading to you from Exodus. We're almost done with Exodus. I know you're so sad. Uh, We'll be done by the end of the summer. But Exodus 31, and I'm going to read to you the first 11 verses, and I want you to see what's there, and then we will get into the message. So starting in Exodus 31, if you need a Bible, we have three Bibles here. They're the blue Bibles under the chairs. There's some in the back. Please take one if you'd like. But in Exodus 31.1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work in every craft. Verse 6, And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. What is it that they have commanded to build? The tent of meeting, also known as the tabernacle, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table, the utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand. And the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. May you bless it today as it teaches us and informs us, but also, hopefully, prayerfully, may your Holy Spirit transform us. May our minds be renewed today through your word, and and may it change us to be more like you in your image. For you made us in your image, but you have called us to be sanctified, to be made holy. As we read through the book of Exodus, we see that over and over, that you've redeemed us, but you've also called us to be holy, to be more like you. So help us to do that today, Lord, through this word, in Jesus' name. And the church all said, Amen. Amen. I titled this message, The Ministry of the Holy Spirit. Originally, I was thinking of calling it being filled with the Holy Spirit, but when I look back a year ago at this time, I preached the message filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, as we kind of actually started this journey, just before we started the book of Exodus, we were in Acts for a little bit, and so you can go back and watch that one too. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit is interesting. In fact, I think a lot of us don't think about the Holy Spirit, especially if you read the Old Testament. You won't notice the Holy Spirit as much as you notice the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, when you read the New Testament. Is it, you tracking that? You following that? Yeah, for sure. So, but when you look in the first book of the Bible, you see the Holy Spirit. I mean, right away, at creation, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Then you see he is upon a man named Joseph, who had dreams and could interpret those dreams. So the Holy Spirit is there, ministering, doing his thing. In Exodus, we see he rests on Moses, and then on Moses' uh, the, the selected elders, there were 70 elders to help um, sort of govern the people, if you will. Uh, then uh, you keep going, you read in Judges, you'll read about Samson and Gideon, and those guys, they had the Holy Spirit upon them. Then you see David talk about the Holy Spirit a lot in the Psalms. 
And something David says is important so that we understand sort of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And I'm going to clearly show that to you today. But his presence was known as a temporary presence, not a permanent presence in the Old Testament. David says in Psalm 51, Cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me. So when you read that, you do have to understand that, because, well, there, there are, there's a big difference of what happens in the New Testament when Jesus came. So the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, his presence was not permanent. Not permanent in the Old Testament believers. And here in Exodus, we read Bezalel, and I'm going to pronounce it that way if you want to pronounce it differently, tomato, tomato. All right, but Bezalel was filled with the Spirit. And it's really the first time in the Bible that it says it that way, that someone was filled with the Holy Spirit. We see it all the time in the New Testament. So if you're a Christian, you've read the whole Bible, you might like, be like, oh, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I've read that many times. I understand that. But, but God understands it's different here in the Old Testament. What was he, uh, why was he filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, throughout the Bible, we have continuity. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, same back then as it is today, glorify God. I mean, glorify God. The Holy Spirit, he is the third person of the Trinity. We have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Holy Spirit. I don't know, it's beyond our understanding. I can't understand it any more, better than you can understand it. But God is in three persons, and the Holy Spirit has a purpose of glorifying God, glorifying himself. And so when he fills Bezalel, it's for a purpose. He's given him a supernatural ability an intelligence, a knowledge, craftsmanship. Raise your hand if you like to work with wood. All right, we got some woodworkers out there. Anybody ever make necklaces before, like jewelry? Anybody like to do that kind of stuff? Okay, all right, we're getting more people. So anybody artistic like to paint or sculpt or anything like that? All right, so here's the thing. You can do what you can do, but Bezalel here... And his partner, Oholiab, I think he might have been really holy or something, they named him that, Oholiab, and some other guys were supernaturally gifted to artistically do all of the furnishings. They made this tabernacle, and the purpose of the tabernacle, as we're going to start, we're going to see this next week, we're going to go through these, these furnishings, but we're going to start with the tabernacle next week. The purpose of the tabernacle is that's where God met with his people. He came down and, and he met with them in the most holy place. So we're going to see that, and it's going to be fun to go through that. But these men, they, they were given a supernatural ability here to do what they did. I mean, they, their carvings, their, what, they, what they came up with was from God. So you've got to understand, like, these guys, they might have whittled a little wood before. You know, they might have shaped a few stones before. But now they can carve cherubs, angelic beings, to go on the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, this is like, and i got to believe that if the Holy Spirit is giving you the ability to carve a cherub, it's going to look like the real thing. 
Because there's really cherubs in heaven right now. And they probably looked just like the real thing. If you want to know how to do something today, like, say, build a pergola, or fix a toilet, or make chicken piccani, like, if you want to know how to do something today, you don't ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with that knowledge. Or do you? (laughs) You ask Siri or YouTube. I mean, that's how I learned how to build the pergola that's in my yard today. Hey, Siri, how do I build a pergola? And then I started reading and checking it out, and I did it. Now, in retrospect, I really wish that I would have said, hey, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can build a really cool pergola. Maybe I would have cherubs on my pergola, and people would drive by and be like, wow, a really holy man must live there. But no, it's just a plain old pergola. Actually, kind of a funny story. A long time ago, a member of our church, a newer member, said um, we decided we were going to go to lunch together. And he said, well, I'll pick you up, Pastor. And I said, okay. I gave him the directions to my house. And I said, you won't miss it. There's an eight-foot cross in the driveway. And I said it was dead serious, you know, and he thought I was serious. And I was kidding. I, you know, seriously, though, it's only seven foot, okay, if you come by my house. No, I don't, I don't have that. Just kidding. But... There, there is a, a debate today amongst Christians, and I don't want to skip over this because I think that many of us have maybe learned from other teachings out there about the Holy Spirit. It seems to be pretty controversial, actually, the Holy Spirit and, and what people understand about the Holy Spirit. And I want you to be aware of the different opinions of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit today in the New Testament age, in the, in the covenant of grace that we're in. I want you to understand that. I don't want you to be led away by false teachings, because there's a lot of false teachings. The Bible talks about the fact that there will be false teachers, and, and I don't want you to be led astray. So there are some people, i just give you a forewarning, there are some people that teach that after a person puts their faith in Jesus, after they're saved, then a person can be baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's like a second baptism. And there's some that teach that when you have this second baptism, then it'll be noticeable, evident that you'll be able to speak in tongues, in in some unknown languages that are out there, um, um, language that that only God understands. Some people teach that. Some people would teach that being filled with the Holy Spirit is a sensational and, and a highly emotional event and probably results in, again, another kind of spiritual gift like maybe prophecy or the ability to to do healing. Some people teach these things. But let's see what the Bible teaches. Amen? Let's see what the Holy Spirit has to say about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that sound good to you, Life of Purpose? Yeah. I love this church. You know why? Because you're Bereans. In the Bible, Bereans were people who examined the Scriptures to make sure the preacher was preaching the right word. And that's what you are. You're not going to let me slide. Last couple weeks ago, I preached something, and, and, and one of our, our members said, boy, I was a little worried there, Pastor. You sounded like you were preaching the prosperity gospel there for a second. But then you brought it home, right? Bereans. Bereans. You're examining the scriptures. You know what is truth, and that is good. So I want to take you through some of the key verses in the book of Acts 
so that you understand what I'm saying, what I just said is, is truth about what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, what that means exactly, and that's where we're going today. So the first place is Acts 1.5. And to set this up, just so you understand, the book of Acts really does, I, you know, some call it Acts of the Apostles, because it is. It's the apostles doing what they did. But I, I like to call it Acts of the Holy Spirit, because really it's, it's the Holy Spirit is now, he's ministering to us, to people. And when you see the progression of it, it's pretty, it's pretty wonderful. So Jesus died, rose from the grave. Before he ascended back to heaven, he appeared to many people. And it, upon appearing to some of the disciples, he said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. He said to them, John baptized you with water. He baptized you for repentance. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. But then he says, Jesus' words, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what was he talking about? And if you go forward to Acts 2, you find out what he was talking about. He was talking about when the Holy Spirit came, when the Jews celebrated Pentecost. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was talking about was when a person is initially indwelled with the Holy Spirit. I say it this way, a person that puts their faith in Jesus, a person that's saved, is a person that has been baptized by the Holy Spirit already. You have the Holy Spirit, you have faith to believe, and you trust in Christ. Don't let anyone teach you that there is a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is that time when he begins to live in you permanently. That's what I believe the scripture teaches us. Acts 2.4, all the Jews came to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Jews were spread out all over. They spoke all kinds of different languages. They came to Jerusalem because that's what they were told to do ever since Moses. Moses instituted these with, with, with um, uh, in, we read in Leviticus, the, the, the festivals. They called them festivals. And one of those was Pentecost, come back to Jerusalem, celebrate and God planned it that the Holy Spirit would come at this time. Verse 4, they, the disciples, were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues, and that translates to known languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this is a verse that many people take out of context and use to teach falsely in churches today. You have to take this verse in the context of the whole book of Acts. If you do, you see that this is the baptism Jesus was talking about, that when you become a Christian, that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And not everyone who receives the Holy Spirit speaks in other languages. When I got saved, I didn't all of a sudden speak Chinese. You didn't all of a sudden have the ability to speak Espanol, did you? No. So what we see in the book of Acts... In fact, it only happened a few times. What we see is, and I don't know why more people don't point this out, but the first time it happens, it's for the Jewish people. And the next time it happens, it's for the Samaritans. They're half Jewish. And the next time it happens, it's for the Gentiles. It's a progression of the Holy Spirit basically entering into all ethnicities because Jesus died for the whole world, not just for the Jewish people, 
not just for the Samaritans, but for the whole world, for everyone. So I encourage you, study the ministry of the Holy Spirit throughout the whole book of Acts. That's what I did. It became very clear to me, his ministry. Now, a little later, Peter, one of the Jesus' disciples, spoke to some of the religious leaders that crucified Jesus. Now, the disciples ran, hid in an upper room when Jesus was crucified. They were afraid. They lived in fear. Like many of our Christians today who are spread out in, the, in those areas of the world that Christianity is not legal. That if they were to be out in the street and they were to preach the word of God, they would be martyred, killed for what they believe. Well, that's where they were at. But then something changes in Peter. Verse 8, chapter 4, Acts. Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, said to those same people that had Jesus crucified, rulers of the people and elders, by the way, they had healed someone in the name of Jesus, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter preached the gospel and put it in their face. Now, you don't do that if you're afraid. But he had a boldness. Why did he have a boldness? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. After Peter preached this message and this gospel to them, explained how they healed this man, he rejoined the other believers in a time of prayer. Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So all the other believers were filled with the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God with boldness. And then we keep going in Acts 13. There was a guy named Saul who persecuted the church, had Christians killed because he believed that they were not honoring his way, the Jewish ways. He was a Pharisee. But then he became Paul, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he was preaching one time, he looked intently at a person and said, you're a son of the devil. You're an enemy of all righteousness. You're full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? What do all these cases have in common? Number one, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But for what purpose? Why were they filled with the Holy Spirit? Was it so that they could speak in tongues? Or prophecy? Or that they could heal someone? Or they could have some spiritual gift? No. It was for the purpose of of speaking the word of God with boldness. That was the purpose. This ministry of the Holy Spirit had empowered them to lead other people to faith in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, to build up God's church. That was the purpose, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to build up God's church. And let me tell you something about those early Christians. They understood some truths. 
some truths we need to understand today. They could not build God's church without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul said it numerous times. Like, I'm not a very good speaker. I'm not very good at all. I'm a small man. Like, nobody looks at me and says, wow, what a great preacher you are, Paul. He admitted that. And they they even say uh, that he probably had bad eyesight. So imagine a, a small man, you know, who can barely see, and he's preaching the Word of God, and people were getting saved. Why? Because he was so great at speaking? No. Because he understood the power of the Holy Spirit that worked in him. That he had to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do what was, what, to make happen what was happening. The early Christians understood the power, the gifts, and ultimately, where I'm going with this, is the control of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The Holy Spirit controlled them. So I pray our church understands this truth. If we're going to build Life of Purpose Church in any other way than by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we're going to be a fake. We're going to be a fraud. And people might come and they might experience Life of Purpose for a little bit, but they're going to know it's not for real. It's not genuine. But I believe what God is doing here in our midst is a genuine thing. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, and when you are surrendering to the Holy Spirit, and He has control of you, and your mind is being changed by the power of God, this is is the result. This is what we're seeing, the real thing. And we need to be filled with the Spirit. Let me tell you another truth that these early Christians understood. They understood that even though the Holy Spirit lived in them, that did not guarantee he could use them for his glory. Just think about that. The Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a believer, a Christian. But it doesn't guarantee that you can be used for God's glory. You're the the issue, as they say. You have to surrender control and let God do what God can do in you. So Christians, you've got to know that truth. Because he lives in you, you have potential for greatness. Not your greatness. His greatness. But you've got to surrender. You've got to let his power go to work in you. And that is the challenge for us every day. Is it not, Christians? Man, it's a challenge. How Am I going to let the Holy Spirit control me today? Will I let the Holy Spirit take control of me today? Will I let him fill me up today? And that's ultimately what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you go away from this message and miss that, then I'm a poor preacher. I want you to understand that, that everybody here can be filled with the Holy Spirit because it's about being the Holy Spirit being in control of your life. And I want to show you that in three places in a little bit here. Paul wrote some letters to the churches that he ministered to. In Ephesians 5.18, I think this is the only place in the Bible where it actually tells us to be filled. In other places it says they were filled. But here, Paul says, you should be filled with the Spirit. Now, what's the context? He says in verse 18, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. That's immoral. That's prodigal living. 
but be filled with the Spirit. Don't let alcohol control your life. Let the Holy Spirit control your life. That's what Paul was saying in this verse. Now, right now, I know there's some control freaks that are squirming in their chairs right now. And if I were you, if, if I was sitting in the chair listening to, to this message, I'd be squirming in my chair because I like to be in control too. Control freaks, say amen. Yeah, we got a few. But let me ease your mind, okay? When the Holy Spirit is in control of your life, it's a beautiful thing. He ministers to you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is special. I mean, do you realize all the Holy Spirit does for you? Let me just list them, some, and I'll miss some. But he helps you understand that you're a sinner, which then he leads you to God for forgiveness. He gives you faith to believe. He puts you in the family of God. He seals you, regenerates you, helps you pray, helps you understand the Bible, empowers you for ministry, changes your life from the inside out, blesses you with spiritual gifts, and displays the fruits of his spirit in your life. I mean, the Holy Spirit was there for your justification. He's here now for your sanctification, and he'll be there for your glorification. I mean, what a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He can handle being in control of your life. That's my point. And by the way, have you ever thought about the ministry of the Trinity as it's unfolded in t- over time? I mean, God, the Father, we see him in Exodus, right? He comes down in the pillar of a cloud and fire. I mean, that's the presence of God in the midst of his people. But then things changed when Jesus came. Now Jesus is in the flesh like us. And he's walking with us, ministering to us. But now, Jesus went back to be with the Father, but he said, you won't be alone. I won't leave you alone. I'll never forsake you. I will give you my Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit is ministering to us because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you if you're a believer. Today is the Holy Spirit's time. Maybe old like me and have seen this movie called The Goonies. I've seen it way too many times, can quote many, many, many lines. One of the lines that I love is the inspiring speech by little Mikey. They're in the wishing well and they want to get out. They they want to stop. They have a way out. And the treasure's there, but they don't want to do it. And they're like, you know, you probably know the speech. You know, he's like, no, this is our time. You know, we got to do this. It's our time. And that's what I'm thinking about. That's what popped into my head when I think, this is the Holy Spirit's time to minister to us. Until Jesus returns, it's the Holy Spirit's time. And that's important for us to know, that we would release our control to the Holy Spirit and let him have control. I never thought I could quote the Goonies and pull it off, but I think you get the idea there. I might, I, I don't know. I might get an email, I don't know. But let me make it practical for you, helpful, so that you can actually do this. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. I hear people talk about it all the time. I want to be filled with the Spirit. And sometimes I cringe a little bit, like, what what are you referring to? Because I know what I think it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But what are you thinking it means? And this is where I'm going with this now. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Practical. I'm a pastor. By definition, a pastor is a shepherd. 
like a shepherd of sheep. And if you know, you know, a little bit about what shepherds do is, you know, they take care of those sheep. They feed them. They lead them. The green pastures, they help them when they wander off. They help them get back. I mean, basically, if it's not for the shepherd, those sheep would not still be alive. They would not thrive. Because sheep are the dumbest animals on the planet for the most part. Which is always funny when I think about how God relates us to sheep. <laughs> Thanks, God. <laughs> not a compliment. But a pastor, in my position, a pastor does just that for his flock. He takes care of them. He desires for them to stay alive, thrive spiritually. So if I called you up or texted you or emailed you and said, hey, it's Pastor Matt. We should meet and let's talk about your spiritual growth. Let me care for you. Let me teach you. Let me love on you. What? would be your response to that. Some of you would be like, absolutely, where do we meet, when, I'm excited, let's do this. And others might be like, eh, I'm good, Pastor. I go to church once in a while. That's enough for me. I'm all set. Now, I love you guys, and I suspect most of you, if not all, would say, where? Where can we meet? When can we meet? But here's my real question. What's your response to him? When he calls, what's your response to the Holy Spirit? Because every day, the Holy Spirit is calling you and saying, let's talk about your spiritual growth. Let's talk about your sanctification, your holiness. Let's talk about that. And the Bible has a few ways of explaining how you respond to it, how I respond to it. When the Holy Spirit talks to you and calls you and says, let's talk, you either fuel that fire or you quench it. First Thessalonians tells us that. You either grieve him or you make him happy. You either neglect his gifts or you use them wisely. You either get drunk with wine or you get drunk with the Spirit. And I'd like to add another example because I think pictures help us remember things. If the Holy Spirit was a muscle in you, then I would say, does that muscle look like this? Bugs Bunny? Or does it look like this? You gotta love those cartoons from the 80s. I wanted to be like Popeye, man. When he popped that spinach in his mouth, he was so pumped up. Of course, his biceps, or his, his forearms were always bigger than his biceps, I feel like. But that's, to me, a picture of the Holy Spirit in you. Is he pumped up or is he falling down? What's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? How is he filling you up? How is he ministering to you? Now, we have answers in the Bible as to what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5, let's start there. Galatians 5, verse 25. You've probably read this before. And maybe you never thought about it as being the same thing as being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it is. Paul said to the church in Galatia, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is the same thing as walking with Him every day. That's what it means. That's your goal. Walk with Him. What does your walk look like now? 
What does it look like now? Our family has a, a Brittany Spaniel. Beautiful dog, but she is bred to be a bird dog. She, she has a nose like, I mean, it's incredible. When I take her out hunting for pheasants or grouse or woodcock, she will zigzag through a field using that nose as her guide. And I don't know how it's possible, but it is. She finds birds. And then she does the coolest thing ever. If you've ever seen a bird dog, she points. She stops a couple of feet from that bird, lifts up her leg, and points right at that bird and doesn't move a muscle. Her little tail's, you know, just vibrating. I mean, she is just, boom. It's so cool to see her do her thing. But the problem comes because we live in a city that requires you to keep your dog on a leash, that when I take her for a walk, she tries to hunt. And I just want her to walk next to me and enjoy the scenery. But instead, this is me walking Millie all over. She's going all over the place, pees 10 times, drinks out of 10 puddles. I mean, it's, it's, she is so out of control on our walk. There's sometimes she'll go right out in the middle of the street and I got to yank her back so she doesn't get hit by a car. Who's in control of the walk? I joke with people when they watch this. They see what's going on. Our the rest of our family doesn't even want to take her for a walk. That's how crazy it is. But I joke, I say, you know, she's walking me, you know, we're going for a nice walk. Um, but here's my question. Is this what your walk with the Holy Spirit looks like? Are you like Millie? Are you dragging the Holy Spirit all over? Is the Holy Spirit like, get back here, you're going to get run over by a car. You're going to do something stupid. But look at what it says in verse 25. Keep in step with the Spirit. He's supposed to lead the way. Man, am I jealous when I sit and I look out my window at home and I see these people walk by with their dogs and they're just so wonderfully obedient. And they're just like walking along and their dog's right next to them, keeping in step with them. I'm like, gosh, that must be nice. We love our dog. Don't, don't get, she gets spoiled. Don't get us wrong. But that's impressive when you keep in step with the Spirit. So how does your daily walk with the Spirit look like? Does it need to change? Only you can answer that. Now let's go to Ephesians. Paul continues this line of thinking, this teaching. He says to the church in Ephesus, verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then that verse I already read to you, verse 18, Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. What happens to your senses and your mind when you get drunk with alcohol, when you fill up with alcohol? What happens? You lose your mind. Some of you, this wild, untamed beast comes out. You do stupid things you never dreamed you'd ever do. Well, Paul is contrasting being filled with alcohol with being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. Let the Spirit control your mind. And he's going to go even further and tell us what happens when, it, when, it, when it's, a, it's a blessing when it happens. Verse 19, 
What happens when the Spirit controls your, your life, when, you, when He's in control of your mind? Well, you will address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You'll sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. You'll give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll even submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you keep reading in chapter 5, you'll see he's talking about the marriage relationship, the employee relationship, the father-son-daughter relationship, mother-daughter, the family relationships. What a blessing when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're controlled by Him. You have joy in your heart. You have thankfulness. You have humility towards others. Is there anyone here? I know, probably you know, not at all. But anyone here need a little joy in your heart, a little more thankfulness, a little humility? Anybody? Yeah. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. And then he goes on to say in verse 16 of Galatians, bumping back to Galatians, he says, if you walk by the Spirit you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. And we all know the evil passions and desires that our flesh has. When you're filled with the Spirit, you can overcome your sin. And you can produce fruit. Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I want all of those fruits in my life. I spent this, this past week, I spent a, a day up on Harsons Island with some other coaches uh, around the area. And uh, we had a fellowship of Christian athletes uh, retreat. And that's what we talked about, the fruits of the Spirit. How do we have the fruits of the Spirit as we coach young people? You know, some young people spend more time with their coach than they do with their parents. Coaching is an important ministry. And I love the work that, that Fellowship of Christian Athletes does. Let's go to Colossians 3. The church that, that Paul uh, ministered to, Colossae, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Kind of sound familiar? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's the same result that we saw in Ephesians. We're going to sing out to God. We're going to thank God. We're going to have joy in our heart. But there's a difference here. And this is why I'm bringing it up. It's an important difference. It's the call to action. In Ephesians, Paul says, you are to be filled with the Spirit, and then you have these results. But in Colossians, he says something a little different. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly equating those two together. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Walk with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. How do you do that? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the key. How do you give the Spirit control of your life? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the Holy Bible dwell, live in you. Renew your mind with the Word of Christ. Are you reading your Bible, studying your Bible, meditating on your Bible, reflecting on your Bible? Does your Bible have highlights, underlines, notes in the margin? Do you have a notebook full of prayers, reflections of what God is doing in your life? 
The Bible isn't just to inform you, it's to transform you. It should transform you. It should change you from the inside out. If you knew Matt Trombley 25 years ago, you would be appalled at what was in this head. But 25 years of renewing my mind with God's Word, of sharpening myself with other men, sharpening iron, God has done a marvelous work in me. I take no credit. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm surrendered myself, given Him control. And that's what happens. He changes you. He takes your stinking thinking and gives you some good thinking, some godly thinking. So renew your mind. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, God can take you places so much quicker. We were on this retreat on Harsons Island, and we were watching these sailboats go by. They were heading up to Port Huron for the Mackinac race, the Port Huron to Mackinac race. And I was admiring some of these sailboats as they went by. Um, kind of neat, kind of cool. In fact, I, I got invited to go uh, sailing uh, this uh, this summer, I plan to go. I've never been. It's, I'm looking forward to it. But one thing I know about a sailboat is, is that it has the, you know, the big uh, I don't, terminology. I'm not good, okay? But it's got the big boom, you know, and it's got the sails that will come off it. And eventually, you, you want to put the sails out, right? I mean, there is a motor on the boat, but the, as I watched these boats go by, like, they were going so slow, you know? That's like, and I'm sure they were like, this is boring, you know, we're just kind of Put, 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 up the St. Clair River. You know, they want to get to the race so that they can hoist their sails and they can fly. I mean, I read that some sailboats are so cool, so um, neatly designed that they can go 80, 90 miles an hour on the water. Harnessing the power of the wind. Did you know that in Acts 2:2, the Holy Spirit is described as a mighty rushing wind? That Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit to John, and he, or to Nicodemus in John 3, and says that it's a wind. The Holy Spirit's a wind, a mighty rushing wind. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be a sailboat that's powered by the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit, because that's going to take us places a lot faster than we could ever go on our own. So, what's it going to take for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? That the Holy Spirit can control you. It's the Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Keep on keeping on. Every day, open up your Bible. Get in there. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Reflect on it. Take notes. Read and read some more. And if you don't like reading, listen and listen some more. Technology is amazing. You can do that. And then... People will begin to see some things in you that you didn't ever saw before. Like love. Like joy. Like peace. And oh my gosh, do, do I dare say it? Patience. If someone saw some patience in you that they never saw before, they would begin to ask questions. What are you on? I'm on the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm on. Holy Spirit, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. It has enlightened us. It has encouraged us. It's built us up. 
as the body of Christ. May we continue to worship you through this final song, but Lord, may we not dismiss this message. May we think about it. May we take some time, perhaps this this afternoon or this next week, spend some time in prayer, spend some time in your word, and just think about and ask you, What father doesn't give his son, his daughter, wonderful gifts? And the gift that you have given us is your Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does so much for us, ministers to us. But God, let us surrender so that he can be in control and so that we can see the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.